It is, I love Baptism Sundays. I love hearing people's stories of how they've come to uh, put their faith in Jesus. And, and you guys basically are marking publicly today that you've kind of, you've started uh, the Christian life. You've, you've, you've professed faith in Jesus and, you're, and you're, you're heading forward with him. The question is this, how do we keep going in our Christian lives? How do we keep pressing on? How do we make sure that we keep trusting him all the way until we make it safe home to heaven? And I want to show you a very important answer to that question from the book of Hebrews. So uh, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, please put your hand up and someone will bring you a Bible. And please look up Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. So if you haven't got a Bible, we'd, I'd love you to have one in your hands. Uh, so don't be embarrassed, but stick your hand up and uh, someone will bring you a Bible. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, if you're looking up a, a Bible on your on your iPhone or other device, page 1204 in the church Bibles. I'm going to read from 4 verse 14 through to uh, 5 verse 10. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today, I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, this is God's word. Please keep uh, that open in front of us. 
How do Christians keep going through all the struggles and, and difficulties of life? Well, the surprising answer from the book of Hebrews is that we need a permanent high priest. And that Jesus is that high priest. Now, that sounds very strange to us. Uh, the sports personality of the year awards candidates have been announced. And uh, over the coming weeks, people are going to be discussing the various merits of these different sports people, their achievements, what they've done. And uh, in the world of sport, perhaps a bit about their personalities and their, and their characters. And they're going to vote on who they think is the BBC sports personality of the year. Now, people are weighing up these guys, but people aren't weighing up who's the best high priest. I get that. This is not a normal part of our conversation. Uh, most of us uh, don't come from Jewish families, and we may not have read or studied the Hebrew Scriptures, the, uh, the Old Testament, the first part of our Christian Bibles. And so we're very unfamiliar with what on earth was a high priest and, and what did they do. But you know what? This is such an important point that actually it forms the heart of the book of Hebrews. Essentially, from chapter 5 to chapter 10 of this book, it is a meditation upon this uh, role of Jesus, that he is the great high priest. So that's the very heart of this book. So it's really important. So we're going to have to kind of get our heads around this. And we're going to have a number of weeks to really understand this. We're not going to get it all sorted out today. <clears throat> But what we need to understand from, from the Old Testament background is that as sinful people, people who um, break God's commandments, uh, we don't only hurt the people around us, but we offend a holy God. And uh, as holy people, uh, we, we, we have to remain separate. As sinful people, we have to remain separate from a holy God. Because when... Uh, a holy God meets sinful people, people tend to die. So how can sinful people come close to this holy God? How can God dwell amongst his people? Now God kindly taught this uh, back to his ancient people in the book of Exodus and Leviticus. And if you've never read those books, it's something to do this Christmas. You, you could do a lot worse than uh, switching off the TV and saying, okay, I'm going to read through the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. And it may seem a bit strange, but hang in there. You'll learn about how God says it's possible for sinful people to relate to a holy God. Uh, here's a picture of what the high priest used to look like. If you can see him there. It, every bit of that clothing is described in the book of Exodus. And all of it has quite uh, significance uh, to his role and function. So this is the clothes he wore, and you can read about that in Exodus. And then here was his workplace. Here was, in the, as they wandered through the wilderness from Egypt to the Promised Land, they built this tabernacle, this tent. They were wandering nomads in tents, and God says, look, I want to live amongst you, and I want you to build a special tent where I will live. And so God was placed in the center of the camp when they camped together, all the 12 tribes around the central place where God's tent was, this tabernacle. And so God says, look, I'm going to live amongst you, but and yet he's still separate to them in some way. There's a courtyard. And basically, if you were one of the, the regular people of God, you could only really approach into that courtyard. You couldn't get into the, into the tabernacle, into the main tent. 
it was the priests who got to go in there and apply these animal sacrifices. Uh, Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. The high priest performed an essential task of offering animal sacrifices, applying the blood of those animals onto certain places in uh, the altar and into God's tent. And this was a means by which people's sins could be forgiven. Here's, here's the point. Your, 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 your sins mean that you deserve death before a holy God. But God says, you know what? You can bring an animal sacrifice and that animal can be a substitute for you. That animal will die in your place and its blood will be applied in different parts of the of, of this tabernacle structures. And in that way, your sins are covered over. In that way, there's cleansing. And that, that is the way that God can live amongst these people who are sinful. Only through these sacrifices and only through this, these priests and especially the high priest on the Day of Atonement could people come and approach this holy God? And over hundreds and hundreds of years, the, uh, the Jewish people enacted these sacrifices, bringing these animals to be sacrificed as sin offerings and guilt offerings. And the whole sacrificial system was there to teach us uh, and prepare us that for the ultimate act of substitution, the ultimate act of sacrifice, of salvation, when Jesus would come and offer himself in the place of sinners. His would be a once for all sacrifice. And all these animal sacrifices were just kind of object lessons to prepare us for this ultimate sacrifice. And so as you read the book of Exodus and Leviticus, you know, almost every detail there has a powerful significance in different ways points to Jesus, including the role of the high priest. This person who's there to represent the people to God, as it says in chapter 5, verse 1. It was through him that people were able to be maintained in a relationship with God. It was through him that the people would be cleansed on this day of atonement. And so, with that background, look back at chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now this is the wonderful encouragement for us. This is how we will keep going in our Christian lives all the way until heaven. By approaching God's throne in prayer. And we can do this confidently because we have such a great high priest 
in Jesus. In essence, verse 14 sort of summarizes the book up to now. Because of who Jesus is, his supremacy as the Son of God, which is what chapter 1 was about, and because of what he's done, uh, his suffering as a man, which is what chapter 2 was about, where he pioneered a way of salvation, his death as a sacrifice of atonement that covers our sins, and then his resurrection, his ascension in heaven, applying the benefits of his sacrifice in the very presence of God. So because of who he is and what he's done, he is the great high priest who enables all who come through him to be able to approach the very throne room of the almighty God and ask God for help in their time of need. Now, can you imagine what it was like for Meghan Merkel to be invited to have tea with the Queen for the first time? Can you imagine her anxious thoughts? How should she behave? What was the correct uh, royal etiquette so she didn't offend the Queen at this first important uh, uh, time of meeting her? Would she receive a welcome? Would the Queen like her, accept her? And, and all this anxiety, no doubt, greatly eased by the fact that the Prince Harry was by her side, making the introductions. But how much more significant it is to, to come into the direct presence of our Creator God. Into His very throne room, it's described there in verse 16. A reminder that He is the epicenter of all authority, all power, of all reality. Look back at uh, verse 13 in chapter 4. We considered it last week. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. How on earth will we be received before almighty God? When he sees everything, about our lives, when everything is uncovered and laid bare before Him. Well, if we hold firmly to the faith we profess in Jesus, our great high priest, here's the point, we can approach God's throne with confidence. How utterly extraordinary. Not with fear and trepidation and anxiety. With confidence, we're invited to come through Jesus. And we'll know we'll receive a very warm reception. We'll find a merciful and gracious God eager to help us in our time of need. If we approach God's throne because of Jesus, our high priest, we will receive mercy and grace. We will be helped by Almighty God. And this is how we keep going in our Christian lives as we approach this throne of grace in prayer. What an amazing privilege is ours. If I had the opportunity to meet the queen, do you think I'd be asking her for some cash or help? Would I have the temerity to ask her for stuff? I don't think so. God says, come and ask me. How can I help you? What an opportunity 
What a privilege we can avail ourselves of. You know, there's a prayer teams that meet after church here and, and, and if you don't know how to pray or, or, or feel too upset to pray when you come they'll, they'll be glad to pray with you in the bulletin you'll see that uh, we've, we've marked out a week of prayer at the start of a new year because we want to seek God's help for this church so when you carve out those dates to come along and pray together with this church family to ask God for help for this church but do you know what you can pray every day and any moment in that day, if you've put your faith in Jesus, our great high priest, you're welcome at this throne of grace. Now this claim of Jesus being the high priest is kind of just asserted in verse 14. But the Jewish uh, critics could well have been challenging these Hebrew Christians as to the validity of this claim. So you, you can't just declare yourself to be the king or the queen of Great Britain, can you? And you can't just declare yourself to be the high priest. Look at chapter 5, verse 4. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. Aaron was the first ever high priest related to Moses. High priests actually had to come from the tribe of Levi and be descended from Aaron. Jesus was descended from the tribe of Judah. So how could he be the high priest? Now remember the big context here. Uh, this letter was written to Hebrew Christians who were facing the temptations to stop trusting Jesus and turn back to their former Jewish faith. And no doubt their Jewish families would have been upset that these, uh, the, these people had, be, had put their faith in Jesus as their Messiah. For the, for, for the Jews at that time had largely rejected this claim. And they'd be trying to get them to come back to the synagogue to announce their faith in Jesus. And they could point to their rich history. All the outward uh, religious Symbols that were still there, the temple that was still in Jerusalem, where there was still a high priest offering sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, someone who was legitimately descended from Aaron, the only official line. So how could these Christian converts maintain what they did? How could they, what could they point to? They, they had no visible temple. Uh, they had no high priest. Well, Chapter 5 is really addressing this, and it's, sort of, it's a stunning theological answer. As the, as the writer kind of reminds them that Jesus is not only legitimately the high priest, but he's far superior to any descended from Aaron. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 5. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father, which is a quote from Psalm 2. And he says in another place, Psalm 110, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so the writer says, look, you need to understand that there's actually another order of priests, high priests in the Bible. One is the order of Aaron, the other is in the order of Melchizedek, and that's actually a much older order. Jesus is a true high priest because the Hebrew Bible promises that when the Messiah King comes... The one to whom God declares in, in Psalm 2, you are my son, today I've begotten you. 
also teaches that the Messiah King would be an eternal priest because this other Psalm, Psalm 110, written about the Messiah King, has this amazing declaration of God, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now this may seem very esoteric and strange to us today, but we're going to hear a lot more about Melchizedek in chapter 7, so I'm going to hold fire on, 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 on uh, Malky till then, right? We're going to get to him. Except to say this, it is the permanent nature of the Messiah's priesthood that's been spoken of here. You are a priest forever. And the point that he's making is that this is so much more superior to the temporary priesthood of those in the order of Aaron. Jesus has superseded and replaced the old order of high priests. It would be so bizarre now that that Jesus has come for these Christians to turn back to the out-of-date priesthood of Aaron and, 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 and the descendants who will be found in the temple in Jerusalem. So bizarre. And by the way, that's why I don't wear lovely white dresses and funny dog collars. I'm not a priest. We only have one priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And actually, if you put your faith and trust him, you too become a priest because through Christ you can approach God. We don't have priests anymore. We don't, that's why we don't have these groovy clothes up here. Uh, it's a bit odd that the church has kind of gone backwards, gone back to the old covenant. Now, this is a wonderful thing. Jesus is the great high priest. And the contrast continues in these verses. Uh, in chapter 5, we, we learn that one of the pluses of this system was that the high priest came from amongst the people, as it says in 5 verse 2. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. Uh, this high priest was a man, just, just like the rest of the people. And so he's able to deal wisely, sensitively, with those who are, you know, just don't know the right things about God and are always going off track. Because he himself is subject to the same weakness. He had to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the people. He was a sinner himself. Two years ago, two summers back, at Contagious, the youth conference, we had a whole week on the book of Leviticus. I wish you could have all been there. It was fantastic. And we actually made a model of the tabernacle. If you put the next picture up. And... Um, we enacted the Day of Atonement. And it was, it was fascinating. You saw how essential it was to have a high priest. But what was quite striking is that on behalf of the people, two goats were involved in covering the sins of the people. And there you see, there weren't, no real animals were sacrificed, by the way. You notice this. These were pictures. But before we got to the sins of the people, we had to deal with the sins of the high priest. And he had to sacrifice a bull. But with Jesus, we have someone who was fully human. And so he knows exactly what it is like to be human. And yet this is such a superior high priest because he did not sin. Back at chapter 4, verse 15, we have this double negative. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness. I've been puzzling. Why, does he, why did he do it in a double negative? 
Well, you could say he was driving quickly. Or to make the point a bit more punchy, you could put it this way. He certainly wasn't driving slowly. It's a form of speech, isn't it? Where, where it's doubly underlined. that, and, and then we can have here this absolute confidence that we're dealing with someone who certainly can sympathize with our struggles. For in Jesus, we have one who was tempted and tested in every way, it says. Just think how extraordinary it is as we approach the very throne room of God, we have one at God's right hand who knows what it is to be tempted in every way, just like us. He knows what it is to be an asylum seeker, to be homeless. He knows what it is to be a child, to be a teenager, to be a working adult, to be misunderstood by his critics, to be considered that he was going crazy by his family. You know, we don't hear much about Joseph after they returned back from Egypt, and it's very likely that he lost his father at quite a young age. And he knows what it is to be raised by a single mother, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be tired, to have days of great popularity and to have other days where people are crying out for your blood. And you may say, well, but he doesn't know what it is to be old. But what are the challenges of old age? They are the challenges of perhaps loneliness, weakness. He knew about those things. He knew about enduring great pain and anguish and suffering. He was tempted and tested in every way, and yet he did not sin. That's why we have such a great high priest ascended into heaven at God's right hand and in his earthly life he modeled to us how to cope with great anguish and suffering look, look at chapter 5 verse 7 during the days of Jesus' life on earth he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death and he was heard because of his reverent submission if we've got it in our heads that, that life for Jesus was a breeze because he was the son of God, we've, mis we've misunderstood this completely. Yes, he was fully God and fully man as we declared in our earlier uh, first song today. And yet so, in some mysterious way, he chose not to access his divinity. And so he experienced life as a real human being. And it's not like he breezed through life. There were times where he wailed and wept out loud with loud, anguished prayers. Such was the anguish and sadness and sorrow that overwhelmed him. He cried out to God in prayer. Just think about Gethsemane. As he contemplated what it would take to, to cover our sins, to actually take... God's wrath and, and, and drink it all himself. And the disciples remember seeing him in anguished prayer, calling out, crying out to God, is there any other way? And yet submitting himself to the Father's will. Well, God heard him, it says. Not saving him from death, 
but raising him out of death on the third day. Verse 8 is an extraordinary verse. Have a look at it again. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. How, how, how is it? I mean, was he not already perfect? Uh, was he not obedient? What, what, what does this mean that he was made perfect? Well, before you join the special uh, forces of the army, the SAS, you go through the most intense uh, trials and challenges. Uh, you, you put the most extreme physical, emotional, and psychological testing. You, you run horrendous marches with great weights on your back. People have died even on the tests. But you know, once you've made it through those and completed them, it could be said of you that you are perfect for becoming part of the elite SAS. Now you were capable before the tests, but by going through the hardship and suffering of the process, you prove that you are capable. And that's the perfection and the obedience that Jesus proved as he continually continued to reverently submit himself to the will of his Father, despite the anguish and the pain and the suffering. And by the perfection of his achievements in his death upon the cross, we can have absolute confidence that he will not fail us in saving us forever if we put our trust in him. Have you put your trust in him? My friends, if you've not put your trust in Jesus, you've got no hope before a holy God. There's only one way of having hope, and that's putting your trust in this one, who through great anguish of personal suffering took God's wrath for sinners, for all those sinners who trust Jesus. Look at 5 verse 9, he was made perfect and he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. What a great high priest! That's the point. What a great high priest. And since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let's hold firmly to the faith we profess. Don't be moved away from trusting Jesus and obeying Jesus. For he's the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. This is how we show that we trust him. We obey him. Don't be shaken by critics. Have full confidence in the Christian faith that we profess. And secondly, holding firmly to this faith, let's confidently approach God's throne and ask God to help us. That's an ongoing act in the Christian life. This is how you're going to keep going. You guys are getting baptized. This is how you're going to keep going. Keep approaching the throne of grace. And there'll be mercy and grace to help you. Every day, every crisis, every anguish moment. Isn't that precious? This is how we persevere. Why would we not trust this Christ? Why would we not approach this throne of grace? Let's do so now. Let's pray.